from John 16:33 it says, "I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. If you have your Bibles, let's take them and turn to the passage Lindsay just read. We're in John chapter 16, verse 33, and it sure seemed appropriate to Rob and I that in this season, uh, we would step out of the book of Colossians as we will be for a few weeks right now. And, and the first place we would go is to a gospel. That, that seemed absolutely appropriate because what you and I always need at all times and in every place to know what Jesus says. And so we, we, we we're going to this particular passage in the gospel of John. His is the voice that we want and we need to hear. Now, I'm gonna give us some context for this verse and, and, and put, it, put it within its biblical and even wider context and Rob's gonna pick up and unpack that. And so by way of context, you know, John 16, 33 lies within what's called uh, the upper room discourse. This is chapter 13 all the way to 17, Jesus is with his guys and, and it is his teaching and informing and exhorting. And uh, this is right before the Passion Week is betrayal, <coughs> excuse me, and crucifixion. So the weight of the moment is, is heavy uh, within his life and within the book, the gospel itself. We could call it the last conversation. This is the last conversation in this way that Jesus, Jesus will have with those who have been with him for three years. Um, he has been talking to these men over the course of three years about what's gonna happen. And when he talks to them, they don't get it. Uh, their expectations of King Jesus, you all are way inflated and false, and so he's chipping away at that false belief to bring them down to reality, because here at reality is where hope lies. Uh, for us, when we read these words, even this morning, and, and these, these men, they, they don't get it yet. It's Honestly, it's like watching someone take a selfie on the edge of the ocean, and you're standing there going, there's a 50-foot breaker behind them that's gonna take them out to sea, and they're clueless as they smile. Verse 32, it's, don't, we're not gonna read it, but it says, he says, Jesus says, the hour is coming indeed, it has come. The hour has come. He's telling them, this is the hour, this is the moment. I've been on this earth 33 years and this is the moment, if I could say it this way, he says, I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> the weight increases on these words. Follow along in your Bibles as I read them again. Verse 33, Jesus speaking, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, we may miss this when he says, I have overcome the world. Uh, in just reading it in, in that particular context, we may miss it, but Jesus, again, makes that statement in a, in a far broader context. And I wanna just walk us through that broader context for a moment because it really, really matters. 
If you've been at fellowship for any amount of time, you know, we talk a lot about the greater story. Well, what do you mean the greater story? Well, the greater story is we see, we view life through the lens of the whole story of scripture, not even just this one verse. And the greater story, you know this, it's four words, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. And I'm gonna walk us through this because as Rob's gonna unpack it, and I wanna remind you, when we understand the greater story, the, the deeper our clarity and conviction of its reality and our being in that story, I'm telling you, the surer and the stronger and the deeper our peace and our hope. So uh, you'll see this on the screen as I walk us through this. We've been through this a number of times at Fellowship. I'm drawing it a little bit different this time. But let's start and look at the, the, the four movements. If, 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 God's, if the Bible were a symphony, God says, here are the four movements of the symphony. And of course, the first being creation. It's Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them he creates. And in that creation, you know, there is, there is distinction, but it's distinction with unity. Um, there's relationship with God, with each other, with creation. Um, if I could say it this way, humanity and creation, you all, in creation, they're, I'm gonna write it this way, it's flourishing, it's flourishing. And then you get to chapter three and we see the second movement is the fall. And here in Adam and Eve decide we, we choose not to live by faith. See, we always have been called to live by faith. God invited Adam and Eve to trust him that all they needed was him and all he provided. And anything they didn't have was for their good and holiness. And, and, and that's the life of faith, is it not? Even for you and I today. And so Adam and Eve said, I, I think there's a better way and we're gonna go our own way. And, and of course they ate of the fruit, they rebelled against God and boy, did they get their own, own way. Now, you know what? There's, there is distinction, but now it's with discrimination. Um, relationship with God, each other, creation, it's all broken. This is, that, this is that part we talk about in wholehearted life, right? In the fall, everyone's heart is broken, shattered. That components of our heart are ripped apart even from within. And if I could put a word here on the fall, I would say everything was not flourishing, but it was, frustration, it was futility, that's the fall. Now, what's amazing is, and I don't want you to miss this, in the midst of the fall, God makes a promise. It's so small, y'all, you can barely discern it. But right there in the midst of the fall, God says, one day, I am going to set all things right. There will be a male child born of a woman. He will crush the serpent's head and he'll be fatally wounded in the process. So it's just this hint, like right in the fall, he says, I'm gonna make it right one day. And so we go from creation, fall, to redemption. And so from the moment of the fall, God has, begins to work out the plan of redeeming, bringing us back, bringing the world back and the people back to what he always intended and when you sit, think of the moment in Genesis 3 all the way to the Gospels, think of it this way, that that's the story of the Bible, the patriarchs, 
the wilderness wanderings, the prophets, all the, the nation of Israel and all they did, it's preparing for that tiny glimmer that God promised there in Genesis three that he would send one to make all things right. There's 400 years of silence and then who shows up? A male child born of a woman in Bethlehem. Wow. So we know that it's Christ, of course, is on the scene. And when we read these words in verse 33 of John, you see, he, when he says, I have overcome the world, do you understand? He is saying, I have, I have come for this very purpose. His life, death, and resurrection securing for us what the enemy took. And what's fascinating to me is, I, I want you to think about this. So when Jesus says, you know, uh, take the, the hours now, uh, take, you know, ha have peace, take heart, I've overcome the world. He, he just encapsulated the whole story of, of the Bible, has he not? He, he's, he's gone all the way back. You see, when he says that, he's gone all the way back uh, to, to the moment of creation. And he's also gonna speak even beyond and it goes further, and this is so fascinating to me because I remember, you'll recall Ephesians chapter one, verse four, Paul actually says this, the work of Jesus on the cross was for those chosen before the foundation of the world. You all, do you understand when Jesus says, I've overcome the world, and this is the moment that he takes this very moment and says, this is, look, this was, I've been anticipating this from before time began. And then finally note uh, the recreation. In the recreation, Jesus makes a promise before he leaves and he says, I'm, 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 I'm gonna come back and set all things right. That's his sure and certain promise to you and to me. All things right fully. See, they're not all quite totally right yet, but they will be fully and finally and forever set right in a recreated heaven, a new heaven, a new earth. And what, what is amazing to me always when I think of this greater story is that you'll note as I drew this up here, the cross itself secures the recreation. You and I live in this time, we live in this time when, you know what? Everything's not fully and finally there. But because of the cross of Christ, you see, the recreation, do you note that I've drawn it a different color um, of blue? I mean, I can't do this justice, but my point being, even as I put a crown on this, and even as I go, you know, just imagine the glory radiating, the glory radiating in the new creation. It tells us that because of the cross, you all, recreation brings, reveals God's glory more fully than had the fall never occurred. And this makes sense because this story is and always has been God's purpose and plan from before the beginning of time. And therefore, wherever we find ourselves, and we find ourselves quite frankly right now, you know, we're living in this part of the story. If we have joined the story by faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, 
This is our story. And this is our future. And may I say, and I'll add one last word on here, that in recreation, I'm gonna say it one more time. Now, once again, it is a sin, it is, an, it is a flourishing that is unhindered by sin. I don't even know if that'd be the right word to describe humanity and creation flourishing in that new creation. With that, with that big picture of the whole story laid out before us as, as Lloyd did so beautifully, I want us to go back to John 16, 33. And I wanna re-enter that moment in time that Lloyd talked about. And all that he just drew on the board was about to come to fruition. I mean, literally that redemption was happening. And, and as Lloyd said, the last conversation, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So our question and, and where I wanna go in the time that I have with us this morning is I wanna ask what would it look like for us in our day, 2020, in our time, in our own little tribulation, so to speak, what would it look like for us as disciples of Jesus to have the two things that Jesus desired for his disciples? Did, did you hear him when I read the text? The first is to have peace and the second was to take heart. What would it look like for us to have peace and to take heart? Heart. Let me just briefly explain as we drill into this particular verse and unpack it with a little more depth. The, the word peace in the Greek, irene, it harkens back to the Hebrew concept of shalom. So it's not just the lack of war. Peace, biblically, is completeness. It's wholeness. It's, it's flourishing, as Lloyd reminded us. It's everything put together right. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's making a contrast in this verse. He's saying, you don't have that in the world. You got something different in the world. You've got brokenness. You've got trouble. You've got sin. You have tribulation. In the world, tribulation. In me, peace. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. So that's the first thing he would desire for them. He would desire for us that we would have peace. The second thing he tells to them, and this one's actually written in a command form. He says, take heart. Take heart. This is an interesting little phrase in English. Uh, in the original text, in the Greek, the word heart is not actually there. It's a single Greek verb, tharseo, and it means to be courageous. So to have courage. So you may be asking, well, where do we get take heart from this idea of being courageous? Well, if you think about it, in, in our English vernacular, that's kind of what take heart means. It means be encouraged or have courage and, you know, stand up, move toward whatever it is that is maybe troubling you. Take heart as an English expression actually has some interesting roots to it. You see, the word courage actually derives from the Latin word for heart, which is the Latin core, C-O-R. So we get our word courage from this idea of heart. So what we've done in the English is we've translated this verb that says, be courageous, take heart. So every time you see that phrase in scripture, take heart, you know, it means have courage, take courage, move, act in confidence. One more interesting fact about this particular Greek word that's translated take heart, it, it's in the New Testament, it's used almost exclusively by Jesus. This was one of his very favorite commands. 
be courageous. Take heart, Jesus would say. I want to read you three instances, and I want you to listen to the context in which Jesus shared this command with individuals. Matthew 9, verse 2. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, a paralytic, someone who's paralyzed, can't move, hadn't been able to move for years. No hope in this person's life. But when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Next time, just a few verses later, Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, a woman comes to Jesus who had a physical issue, an ailment for years of her life. She was bleeding. No one knew what to do with this. And all she wanted to do is touch the hem of Jesus' robe and she knew she'd be healed. And Jesus feels that touch. The power leaves him when she touches his robe and he turns to her, verse 22, Matthew chapter 9. And seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And then one more instance in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, the disciples are out on the boat. There's a storm going on. They're afraid. Jesus walks on the water out toward them. And they, they see him in the distance and they're completely terrified. They, they, they're convinced it's a ghost. And this is what Jesus says. He says, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart was one of Jesus' favorite commands. Take heart means to have courage in the face of adversity, to have courage when things are not smooth sailing, to have courage when the waves come. Listen, Jesus commands it because he's the one that makes it possible. So we wanted you to see that big picture of scripture, creation, fall, redemption, recreation, so that you would know Jesus is in control of all this. This moment we find ourselves in is a part of a bigger story. Jesus commands us to take heart because He's the one that makes it possible. He has overcome the world. So here's what Jesus is saying to the 12. In the world is trouble. We don't have to look a lot in our context now to remind ourselves. In the world is trouble. In me is peace. Therefore, take heart. Have peace. Take heart. Let's apply this. What will this look like in, in our crazy season when, when things, you know, from, from certain perspectives just feel a little bit like they're going out of control, the, the stock market's crashing, everybody's shutting down, no one knows what's next, people are overreacting, et cetera. All these things are true. How will we act in an unusual, a bit of a crazy season? We're gonna follow Jesus. We're gonna take heart. We are gonna have courage and we're gonna have peace. We're gonna have peace. We're gonna take Hard. And here's what I want to say to us as a body this morning, and, and whether you're a part of fellowship or whether you're just viewing and you're part of another church, here's what I want to say to you. John 16, 33 is not just for those 12 men that Jesus spoke it to. You see, those 12 men were at that point the church. And that's what the church was. He was speaking to the church and he says, I want you to take heart it's a command. He's saying, I want you to have courage. And he's also saying, I want you to have peace. He's, he said everything he said to them so they could have peace and take heart. What would it look like for us to have peace and take heart in our moment, in our time? 
I want to remind you the church has been living out these words for 2,000 years. The church has been having peace and taking heart for 2,000 years. They lived these words out through the violent persecution of the early Christian era in this first couple centuries. They lived these words out through the plagues and diseases of the medieval era. They lived these words out through the bloodshed of the, of the Reformation era. They lived these words out through the world wars and genocides and economic crashes of the modern era. And the church will continue to live these words out no matter what comes in the future. So this may feel like an unprecedented season to us. And, and, and let me just say, if I could help us get some perspective, C compared to the last 2,000 years of church history, maybe our waves, though significant, are not that large. Have peace. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. I want to share with you just a few things that we think this means for our church just a few ways that we want to live this out. As we've prayed throughout the week, both our staff team, our leadership team, our elder team, we believe God is calling us to move toward this moment, not shrink back, not retreat, move toward this moment. Specifically, we believe he's calling us to move toward one another, move toward our community, and move toward the vulnerable and the sick. And here's what this is going to look like practically. Uh, I want to remind you, we've already mentioned this. I want to say it again because it's so important. Sign up for the text. Uh, you'll receive it in the morning, 21 days of prayer. Now's the time for us to prioritize prayer. And we don't know what's to come. You know, th this thing may, may, may get easier before, or, or it may get harder before it gets easier, or it may not. We do not know. All we know is we need the Lord. We need each other. And we're going to be connected this way, walking day to day together in the same passages of scripture, praying the same prayers, thinking the same thoughts. Um, Paul reminds us in Philippians 2.2, he says, be of one mind. And this is a way that we can be of one mind for the next 21 days together. I can't wait for that. So if you haven't signed up, text 21 days to this number, 94090. You'll get your first text tomorrow. That's the first thing that we're going to do. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to open up an, what we're calling an open prayer chapel for the next two Sundays from 2 to 5 p.m. So today and next week, 2 to 5 p.m., it's in our worship center right here at the Brentwood campus, which is where we're standing right now. And let me cast a little vision for this. With buildings and institutions closing their doors all around us, we wanted to find a way to open our doors, literally and figuratively. So we can't gather as a large group, and this is not gonna be a large group. It's not a worship service. We're not gonna have live music. We're not gonna have live teaching. But this is a space for individuals, for families, for, for, for a few to come at a time, maybe small groups to come at a time, into a sacred place and pray. So we're just going to have our, our doors open for three hours. Just come and go. It's, it's kind of that format whenever you want to come. And, and here's what I'd encourage you to, to think about it like this. Have you ever been into a prayer chapel in a hospital or maybe an airport? What I find interesting about those environments is outside those doors, everything's swirling around. I mean, it's hectic. It's stressful. Those are high stress environments. And then you walk in the doors of that chapel and, and it's a sacred place of peace in a place of prayer. And we just want to open that up for you. We don't know how many people are come. It's okay if it's just 20 people come in the three hours. That's fine with me. We're going to open it up to our body and our community. We've got a banner right outside in the road right now, two banners by our entrances that just is telling our community, open prayer chapel today, 
2 to 5 p.m. We'll have uh, some elders and pastors here that are just available. If you want prayer, we're here for you. I'll be here all afternoon. We'll have uh, some others as well. You can come and go as you choose. We're also gonna have a communion station set up because we can't, we can't celebrate the Lord's table as a body right now, at least collectively. So we're gonna have a communion station with, with individually packaged uh, elements. So all you have to touch is your own. And we're taking all the precautions that we can. But in this season, we wanna invite you to come. Bring yourself, bring your family, bring your group, bring a friend, or just come yourself. It's our way of opening our doors and inviting people into a physical space of peace when outside these doors, all the stuff is swirling all around us. Finally, our fellowship groups are so important in this season. Lloyd and I were talking earlier, how good is it of God that, that literally in the last six, eight, nine months, more of you have walked into a, a fellowship group than, than we've had in our church in years. We have more of you right now in a fellowship group. And I wanna encourage groups, if you're able, keep meeting. And, and we don't want you to come if you're sick by no means, and you all need to connect with each other and see how you're feeling. But please, if you're able to meet, meet, care for one another. We need more community during these times, not less community during these times. Move toward each other. And I want to say this to our groups, and this is a challenge for us. Can we use our groups to move toward the vulnerable in our community? And maybe here's what it could look like. In your group, just ask yourself, send out a text or when you get together, say, who do we know in our group, our network of friends, who do we know that's vulnerable right now? that may need some encouragement, that may need someone to reach out to them, to check on them, to make sure they're well. Is there anybody we know that's not feeling well that we can reach out to? And in an appropriate and safe way, just be the body of Christ for them. You know, the church has always moved toward the sick. The church has always moved toward the disease. The church has not been afraid. And I wanna call us, using wisdom, being appropriate, of course, let's not be afraid. Let's take heart. Let's move together toward the vulnerable and the sick in our community. And I want to tell you, as a part of our body, we are here for you. We want to know if you have a prayer request personally or someone that you care about. There's a number of ways that you can let us know your prayer request. Number one, you can just reply to the text thread for the 21 days. We're monitoring that. All you have to do is send, send a message to that. And we'll get in touch with you if we can pray for you. Just share your prayer request. We'd love to pray with you that way. The second way is by interacting with us on Facebook or Instagram. Share your prayer request with us if you'd like to that way. You can also call our church office. We don't have events going on this next week at our church office, but our staff is still working. Our reception desk is going to be open, be taking phone calls. Pastors will be ready on hand. If you have needs, we want to know about them. We want to care for you. We want to lead you and shepherd you the best way we know how. We are open for business, so to speak, and we hope that you will share with us your needs. Let me wrap up by reminding all of us of something that's true and we sent this out in an email just a couple of days ago. It's worth restating. We were made for this. The church was made for moments like this one. We were made to be light in darkness. We were made to be strength in weakness, courage in fear, calm in crisis. We are the body of Christ. So have peace and take heart. And let's pray together. Father, you are good to give us words that encourage us this morning.
and you are good that this conversation from 2,000 years ago between Jesus and these 12 men in, in, in a private room, these words have been preserved because you meant these words not just for them. So we receive them this morning. We genuinely do believe that the word of God is living and active and this is the living word of God for us today. Would you help us to live these out? Would you help us to know what it means for us to have peace? Would you help us know what it means for us to take heart? And would you give all of us all around the country right now, all around the world right now watching, would you grant us peace in the name of your son, Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. Well, um, you know, I've got these heart palpitations sometimes. I don't know, I told you that last year. I get these things. I thought I was having them, but y'all, it's not that. It's my phone is just going like this. It's, my, it's bumping my chest because it's buzzing Lord, so much. But you can't, can't can pull I, that on me live. Can like, I, say, I was, I was oh, getting my heart going because you were talking about your heart. Oh, no, no, no. Y'all, I'm, I'm totally healthy. I'm totally healthy. I'm just saying, you know, you have these skips in your heart, whatever. But uh, I got them all. Um, and I, uh, I'm not gonna respond to them all, but hey, I'm responding right now. Hi to everybody. And shout out to Amanda Snyder in Slovenia. Uh, awesome that, you, that, that you've joined us. And I just wanna say this because I did scan them and, and the overwhelming response is, bring the pajamas back. That was totally, <laughs> everyone said, where are your pajamas, where are your pajamas? So I, I'll, I'll probably do that next week. We'll we are uh, going to end by reciting the Colossians Creed. And so Rob and I will turn, I'm gonna, we're gonna read from this screen over here, but how, appropriately, how appropriate that we would turn our attention back around and uh, we would be reminded, having heard the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, we now recite the words of the Apostle Paul about this Jesus, who is the center of all things remains the center and will always be the center. So with that, would you follow along on your screen and would you recite out loud with Rob and I, we believe he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Have peace, take heart, and we will see you next week. God bless.